Shut up. I'm listening to the next English podcast. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the next English podcast. This is another live show for you. What is going on there? Sorry about that. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I hope you guys are doing all right. Um, I've been okay. Thanks for asking, I suppose. It's snowing outside again. I cannot believe it. The weather is much different to what we have seen or from what we have seen in the recent years, isn't it? It's a really tough winter these days. It's not It's not as if it's snowing, uh, as if it's, sorry, freezing or something, you know? The temperature doesn't go, doesn't drop too low, but it's about the snow, like the, there's a lot of snowfall these days. Anyway, in today's podcast, I'm supposed to be catching up with Claire, so to catch up with someone is a really interesting phrase of verb, by the way. And that pretty much means that you meet someone, you meet up with someone that you haven't talked to for a while and you sort of discuss what has been happening lately. So to catch up with someone. Now, yeah, there's a noun as well, a catch up, yeah? A catch up, there's a hyphen, catch hyphen up. Uh, and you have to be careful not to pronounce it as catch up, which is something else, right? Ketchup is something that you would use um, with your chips or french fries. So to catch up, ah, ah sound, not eh. Sometimes it's hard for me personally because we don't have ah sound in my first language, but uh, we are all learning here, aren't we? So as I said, I'm catching (laughs) up. I'm catching up with Claire, who is a friend of this podcast. She has been on this podcast many times before, um, a teacher from England, a friend of mine. And the last time I saw her in person was, I believe it must have been uh, in March 2020, right before I left the UK and we were playing board games. Claire, if you can hear me, could you please call me in? Here we go. Hello, Claire, can you hear me? Hi, it's Daniak. <laughs> so uh, it's great to be catching up with you. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of people who we haven't been able to catch up with lately because of the pandemic, so it's nice to have the chance. <laughs> yes, even if, it, if it, even if it is in this kind of form, you know. It's better than nothing. You know, I, for, I forgot we were catching up as recently as... as uh, early last year, I was thinking it was back in 2018, but you're right, you were here for board games um, comparatively not too long ago. Yeah, I think we met at your friend's house and we played board games there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That was Andrew, who knows lots of, uh, of, he's a linchpin of the expat community in London because he's a folk music fan. It, okay, which is something obviously you are interested in, as my some of my listeners may remember this. Um, but today you, 
came on to talk about history because I, mm -hmm. I have recently learned that you've been teaching history these days, even though um, I got to know you as an English teacher, not, not my teacher, but a fellow English teacher, let's say, although we have never worked um, side by side, which is also kind of interesting. But uh, you're teaching history these days. So that's what you came on to talk about today. Mm -hmm. You've dragged my brain sideways down a rabbit hole because I'm suddenly wondering how we'd get along as colleagues. I think your methods as a teacher are so different to mine when mine are very traditional. But yes, I've, um, I've ended up in the public sector. Will your mm. listeners understand that? Yeah. <laughs> so obviously there are a lot of jobs you can do in the public sector, right? You could be, I don't know, you could be a politician, basically. That's also in the public sector or a policeman, right? But uh, yeah. obviously a traditional job is to be a teacher. So what kind of school do you work for, Claire? Oh, well, it's it's quite interesting. Um, am I able to... Um... Now, maybe it's not a good idea to name drop the organization I work for anymore. Um, but all the time that I was teaching English, and is, is my volume coming through okay, Zeniuk? Uh, well, I can hear you pretty well. It's okay. It's, a, it's up to the listeners. They can let us know here in the chat whether, for example, I'm way louder than you. But uh, as far as I'm aware, you sound fine to me. So I, I think it's fine. Perfect. So you know, all the time I was teaching English as a foreign language and then I was tutoring some history and some music as well, I was aware that I was helping those who could pay for it to get even further ahead, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I decided I was going to train as a teacher in um, a state school, you know, state education, um, which also comes with some added benefits. I think that as a teacher of English as a foreign language, it can be quite hard to really get on the career ladder and get that security unless you're willing to go into business for yourself. And I don't really have the head for business. So I was um, yeah. you know, aware that I was not really going anywhere in mm -hmm. my career as a, as a private English teacher and that I was just helping those who could already afford it, you know? Um, yeah. So I joined a quite well-known charity in the UK that encourages graduates to go into uh, training as teachers. So what they're trying to do is get more capable people into teaching uh, mm -hmm. by persuading them with a quite um, beneficial set of, of, uh, of terms, you know? Okay. Um, Would you mind elaborating on that? Would you mind telling us yeah, what kind sure. of beneficial terms you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we have a, a bit of a teacher shortage in the UK. Um, English teachers, as in teachers in England, like to complain that we don't get the respect of our colleagues in foreign countries. Um, so there are various routes into teaching that you can take in the UK. They all require you to have an undergraduate degree and then do a postgraduate qualification. And the proportion of academic time that you spend in lecture theatres being treated like a student and professional time that you spend in classrooms practicing as a teacher it varies from course to course right mm -hmm. um and the so amount how of much money... so how Sorry, much yeah, did on. so so for example you personally um yep. how long did it take you to train for this to you know to yeah, be able so to work I'm... in pub in the public sector yeah, so I'm building to that. And so the, the amount of money that you're either paying or earning, it depends too. So you can go very, very academic 
um, and spend most of your time being lectured and just a little bit of time practicing. And then you have to pay for that like a standard postgraduate degree. Yeah. The version I'm doing, they give you about six weeks of intense training and then they throw you straight into the classroom as a responsible teacher. So right. it's a, a real jump, you know, but the <laughs> so, advantage of that that attracts people is you get your salary straight away. I see. I see. So it's like no messing about. So basically you are thrown in at the deep end, which is a lovely mm -hmm. idiom. Basically, there is some training. You're given some training, obviously, but it's some people even call it negative, like pejoratively a crash course. But mm. for me, six weeks especially because of your previous education and experience honestly mm. i think i think i can expect you did pretty you handled this pretty easily didn't you i did yes because um you know i'd already been teaching obviously in a very different sort of classroom but i had already been teaching yeah. for about two years so some of the simple things you know relating yeah. to students, planning lessons, it was all quite familiar to me. And I really Man wouldn't have wanted to go back to that very academic training. Yeah, management and all that. So I mm -hmm. I can only assume that some of your, you know, classmates there must have had a hard time getting into teaching, you know, especially if it's so it was so easy to get into. But I mean, you must have had a huge advantage over them with your experience yeah. teaching teaching English and also in foreign countries, right? I think so, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, so to sum up, I'm now teaching, um, I'm now teaching history rather than English. And um, one of the conditions of this program that I'm on is you're supposed to go to an economically disadvantaged area. Um, because in the UK, how well you do at school is, it's very determined by your postcode and the poorer the area that you're from, the less yeah. likely you are to do well. Okay. Okay. Well, but that's something you already knew. And is, is, does, does that make it actually more interesting for you, perhaps? In what way? Um, let's, say, let's say that you might feel that you're really helping someone, that you're helping the, those that really need it. I mean, that's yes, but it's controversial. Okay. <laughs> how, how, is it con how is it controversial? Well, the whole purpose of this uh, training program is to try and encourage graduates from good universities to go into teaching in these economically disadvantaged areas to try and get the benefits of education yeah. into these areas and level the playing field, right? Yeah. Um, but to get onto this program because you know it's a good deal you're getting all your training for free and a salary mm -hmm. straight away they want yep. to take good graduates from good universities and what kind of person is likely to have the opportunity to go to a good university and get a good degree a posh person enough, yeah, yeah yeah if you were posh exactly. enough to do well at school and go to a good university then you can get this job where straight away you'll get your salary and be able yeah. to to work professionally as a teacher if yeah. you maybe didn't have such a good degree from such a good university you have to find the money to pay for your own postgraduate training program so you know some I people see. don't necessarily like this course that i'm on i see i see so what, what kind of classmates do you have for, like are they all posh or, or the other way is it the other way around that they all 
come from, let's say, disadvantaged families or what, what sort of, if you, if you looked at an average classmate of yours, what sort of people are they? Or what, what are they, what is their background, let's say? <laughs> well, a lot of them are career changers, actually. Um, so, you know, they're not coming fresh out of university. They've been in some other sort of job. And then uh, you know, yeah. I think a, a crisis of conscience is quite common, that they've been mm. doing some nice city job and now they want to give something back. Yeah. Oh, that's, I think it's very nice. You know, sometimes you just realize that what you're doing is not for you and then you want to change your career. And sometimes if you make a radical change, you know, it can actually help. You can, it, it can restart your career and change your mindset and whatnot. So I think, I think it's an interesting idea, really. Um, yeah, so, and you know, I think I've been, I've been a bit negative about it so far saying, oh, you know, um, it's just a chance for people who are already very privileged to get even more privileged by having this excellent route into teaching but you know mm. it's better to try and become a teacher yeah. and help people than not right you know at least we're doing yeah. something and let's admit like not everybody that is from a privileged family like dreams dreams of teaching right it's like there are other mm -hmm. things they can do right which might Absolutely look true. more more lucrative on paper even you know so anyway like i, I wonder to some of... so oh, you go on I was talking no, to some of my colleagues who um, they're actually not from the same program that I'm from, but they're from a different training program, but they're doing their training in the same school. They mm -hmm. were all talking about their experience of going to university and saying, yes, I, I worked at McDonald's until 2am and I came home smelling of grease and then I showered and went to <laughs> bed and got to my lectures at 9am. And I was thinking, my God, I'm a, I'm a baby compared to you yeah. i had everything just handed to me so yeah 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 you feel, you feel more privileged so to speak but mm, definitely um so so you teach history so how is it different from teaching english and how is okay so two questions yeah how is it different from teaching english and how is it different to teach um in public school as opposed to uh you know private company Classroom management is a much bigger factor in, um, in a state school. Uh, you can generally count on it in a private school that most of the people want to be there or, you know, if they want to waste their parents' money and mess around in your class, then that's kind yep. of their problem. Um, but in a state school, a lot of the kids don't want to be there and it's kind of your responsibility to try and force some learning into them anyway. Um, I've been very lucky with my school compared to some other uh, some other schools that my colleagues on this training program find themselves at. My school is very good for behaviour. Um, in some ways, the teaching English hasn't stopped. I'd say that literacy, being able to read and write in their native language, is actually one of the biggest barriers to really student learning yeah really um okay so is this because okay so without having any knowledge of this right so is this because mm -hmm. uh, they are children of let's say immigrants that come to the uk that are not so rich and um well they they mo most of the time they spend speaking to their family in their first language and they don't have as much exposure to english as they should have is that one of the reasons or they, is they have they come to school recently or why why are they less literate than they should be so i'm teaching students from age 11 to 16 
definitely some of them are children of immigrants. For example, um, I've got a girl who's from, I think, Romania. Mm -hmm. And I give her her worksheets with a translation in Polish because actually, and I, I feel so sorry for this girl because the rest of my students are speaking wait. just English, right? She's wait, Romanian. wait, you mean, you, yeah. She's already become fluent in Polish. Ah, and now she's been taken okay. to England where she can't speak a word of English. She already speaks twice as much, as many languages yeah. as all her classmates. And still she has no yeah. idea what's going on. So, you know, yeah. you can only imagine what her life is like. Yeah. Um, but I think even amongst those who are children of children of uh, of native speakers, um, it's just that they're not exposed to enough reading. You know, they're not from very privileged I, backgrounds. They're not reading books in their own time. They don't have I what see. we call cultural capital. It's a, yeah. a background of ideas and knowledge that they can draw on. Right. So they could be good at speaking, let's say, and listening, because you know that that's just naturally something they develop as they grow up, right? But when it comes to reading and writing, they struggle. And is it, is this you that help that helps them really with their English, even though you are a history teacher primarily, right? Partly. So you asked me, are they are they good at speaking and listening? And I'd I'd like to make a distinction there that. If it's if we're talking English conversation, of course they have no problem. They're what your listeners would call native speakers. But if we're talking about oracy, which is yep. like literacy, but when it comes to speaking, if we're talking about speaking in an academic fa fashion, again they don't have the vocabulary, they don't have the knowledge. So that's also something that we're trying to teach. Mm -hmm. um, now you ask me, is it is it my job to help them? Um, yeah. So the biggest push for literacy, by which I mean um, being able to not just read, but understand the nuance of academic texts, that's primarily the focus of the English department. But every subject has to help because every subject has a different type of literacy that's required. Mm -hmm. So do you have assistants that help you with this or are you alone in the classroom? <laughs> <laughs> almost always alone in the classroom I only have mm. um an assistant for one class of students with special education needs that I teach um not to not to get too political but there have been a lot of cuts to public services in the last yep. decades or so with our current government and yep. you know we cannot yep. afford many classroom assistants at all yeah well the Tories have been ruling for way too long if you ask me <laughs> yeah so, so we'll see that's... lots of people pulling themselves yep. up by their own bootstraps <laughs> yeah okay and i i also uh, asked you so how is it different how is teaching history different from teaching english um is, do you enjoy it more um, what sort of role do you play as a teacher because i assume um in the english language classroom it's more like you are a partner you give feedback and you let the students work in groups and pairs right but when it comes to history it, are you more of a sort of leader figure someone who uh does a lot of frontal teaching and you know all that because that's how i uh, personally um imagine a, a, a history teacher yeah i mean we do a lot of a lot of discussion in our training about what's the role of the teacher is the teacher a facilitator of the student's own learning or is the teacher an expert who provides the knowledge um and on the one hand you know we have to bear in mind that when students are active as opposed to just listening to your lecture they're more likely to be processing it 
But on the other hand, the teacher does have knowledge that the students don't have. The teacher is the expert. And so we have to um, we have to play that role. Um, I think there actually is a lot of overlap um, in the techniques of English teaching and the techniques of history teaching. Would you like some examples? Of course, of course. I'm all ears. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So back when I was teaching English, we used to say 10% of the lesson on a new concept 90% using and processing that concept. So in history, I'll always try and do a similar thing. Like we have um, just a very dry example of a history Mm -hmm. question. The title of the lesson might be, why did highway robbery increase in 18th century England? Then I'll I'll spend a large part of the lesson teaching my students uh, facts about highway robbery Then at the end of the lesson, they have to answer this mini essay question, explain why highway robbery increased in 18th century (laughs) England. And as they're writing that question, they'll be bringing in all the facts that I've taught them and they'll hopefully be using their history skills as well of thinking about causation. So they're they're synthesizing what I've given them and producing something new is the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, this is definitely a different approach to... to the way I was taught uh, history, I think it's it's in England. It's it's kind of more like this. Any like in all spheres, let's say in all schools, I would say it's more, let's say, learner oriented. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm. So how was it taught when you were at school? Well, we had a teacher who was a very charismatic figure. That's that was my at my grammar school. That was my both um, late primary, but also my secondary education, and he was just. A uh, really smart guy who was actually had a PhD because he, you know, he also taught at the university. Uh, a so I was, a, I, I was kind of a doctor, yeah, really doctor of, of history. And he was, he didn't really like he asked a lot of questions and all that, but he mm. didn't really let us work in pairs or groups or anything like that. You know, it was him speaking twenty four seven. We loved mm-hmm. him. Everybody respect, he respected him a lot. But I can't ever imagine doing this as, a, as an English teacher. However, I always thought, you know, that, that's, that was the way I always pictured or imagined a history teacher, like a good history teacher, like, um, you know, telling stories and, and um, mm. describing the battles and all that. But of course, these days it's all different, and especially in England. So... I think it's partly that they're just different subjects. And in English as a foreign language, if what we're trying to teach is speaking, we have to give our students time to practice the skill of speaking, whereas history is a bit different. And I do also think that the right teacher can make lecturing a very memorable style of Mm. teaching if they have that charisma and that storytelling ability. Um, We've got a question in the chat. Did you see it? Oh, Okay, what's the question? Uh, Maxim asks, level the ground for the playing ah. field. Is it an idiom? Um, is, this how, is this exactly how you said it? Um, to level uh, the, I think it's, it's to level the playing field. Because level to level the playing field. Yeah, it's the verb. So to level something is a verb. And it means mm-hmm. to basically make sure that uh, everyone is equal. Yeah. So if you level the you playing field. Mm-hmm, so, so, so you're making it fair for teachers who come from disadvantaged families. Um, for students, you know. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, imagine if you were trying to play football on a hill and one goal was at the top and one goal was at the bottom. It would be really unfair for the players who were running uphill trying yep. to score a goal. So we level the playing field. We make it fair. 
exactly i think that's the but that's where the metaphor comes from yeah actually yeah because the surface we, we're talking about a surface here as right? a, a football mm -hmm. pitch so if the surface the football pitch is level that means it's, it doesn't go uphill or downhill yeah so that's that's a really good comparison and analogy <laughs> uh claire mm -hmm. it's still, it's wow, still your, your 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 english teaching skills are still coming through you know <laughs> I I try to to keep them sharp. Let me give you another another comparison actually where my skills are useful. Um in your training your your CELTA training, did you get told that students always need to have a reason for listening and before you play a video or a recording, you have to ask them some questions or tell them something that they're looking for. You can't just say listen. Yeah, of course, you have to give them um, the task. You have to give them the instructions to a task. Absolutely. Because a lot of teachers would make this kind of mistake that they would just say, now you guys listen and I'm going to ask you questions afterwards. So that's a, that's a brilliant, brilliant example. Yeah, so when I came into history teaching, because of my experience in English teaching, from the start, whenever I played my students a video about some period of history, I... Yep. Um, give them a yep. list of, you know, about five questions to answer. And yep. then I'd look at some of the lesson plans that quite experienced teachers in my uh, departments have produced. And it would mm -hmm. just say, watch the video and take notes. Yep. So, yeah, well, you know, there I you go. Myself, these, these students, they're not experienced enough to know what they should yeah. take notes about. And the lazy ones, they're yep. just not going to do it. So. Yeah, you, def you definitely have an edge over those guys but you could you, they could pick your brain you know if, if obviously if they are nice to you and they respect you perhaps they buy you a you know a beer after <laughs> a class or something you know you could really yeah, help it's them interesting that you say they could pick my brain because um so i'm actually still in training i'm about uh three quarters of the way through my training mm -hmm. and the focus of this last bit is on collaboration so they've put all this effort into training us up to be good teachers, but to increase the impact of that, they want us to then pass our training on to others. So they're yeah. really getting us to focus on stealing the expertise of others <laughs> in our schools, but also sharing our expertise. So yeah, maybe yeah. it's time for me to speak up and say, <laughs> you have to give these students a reason for listening. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it makes sense because then there's no reason to listen really or to watch, you know, mm. you, they should, they should have some sort of a task. It's, a, it's, it's so simple, such a simple principle, yet so many teachers neglect it, as you said. Right, Claire, we don't have so much time left, but I still have a lot of questions here. So uh, I'm just going to go through the most interesting ones. So okay, what shoot. is your, yeah, I'm going to shoot. So what is your favorite history period to teach? Oh, to teach. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's it's challenging to say. Um, so at the moment, I'm teaching about Elizabethan England, Queen Elizabeth the First, mm. fifteen fifty eight. Is it the one? Right. Sorry, sorry. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make a terrible mistake now. But isn't isn't the, isn't it the one that ruled uh, during Shakespearean times? Is it is Absolutely it a different? Correct. Oh. <sighs> what a relief. <laughs> well, Shakespeare overlapped with her and with her successor, King James I. Um, so this can be a bit of a nightmare. It's the most white bread, you know, a hundred years ago, children were learning about the great Tudor kings and queens, and now we're still doing it. But yeah. I make my own entertainment. I have some <laughs> knowledge about Elizabeth's cousin and rival, Mary, Queen of Scots. Yeah. I have some knowledge about all the religious drama that was going on in the Spanish Netherlands at that time. I have mm -hmm. some knowledge about 
colonialism in the new world. And so I try to enrich this period for my students by, because yep. I, I do believe it is a relevant period for them to learn. But Absolutely. I think a lot of teachers forget what's relevant about it. Just, oh, Elizabeth, we have to do her because we've always done her. But I sure. try to look for, for why we should do her. If you ask me, of course, people have changed. Of course, we now have technology. But you know what? A lot of things remain the same. People still have the same sort of, let's say, values or, or you know, um, problems. And they are going through the same things. And history it repeats itself, right? There, there, there have always been conflicts. Now, it's just done at a little bit different level these days. And mm-hmm. if one country was to invade an other, it might end up being... Uh, the third world war you know because we have nuclear weapons and all that but at the end of the day you know we are all trying to protect our kind it sounds horrible doesn't mm-hmm. it in the globalized world but i think a lot of people think in this kind of way a lot of world leaders you know so isn't this what was happening like hundred hundreds of years ago you know for sure. I mean, one of the things is society advances, but human brains advance a lot more slowly. We're running 21st century software on hunter-gatherer hardware. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's quite telling. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, how about this question? Um, do you sometimes sort of have to deal with let's say, controversial topics? Because as you said, this is something I would be quite interested in um, finding out about, knowing you personally. So um, you, you said you teach a lot of children from disadvantage, of disadvantaged backgrounds and, and so on. And I can imagine it's, you know, like we have, uh, how, how to put this, students of different, like diff- who come from a different culture or place, what completely different completely different right so you, you might be teaching muslims on um, you might be teaching people from you know, um of color and then there could be eastern europeans eastern, eastern europeans. europeans yeah yeah as you said romanians and so on and then you might have a few english people as in white english people you know so you never um, know there are a few of them yeah. around yeah, yeah. So I wonder like do you sometimes come across some controversial topics because you know, in history, a lot of things have happened and wasn't even, it wasn't always pretty, was it? Mm-hmm. So there's a, a big ongoing discussion, which actually has been ongoing for, you know, decades and making very frustrating, slow progress about what kind of history should be taught and how it should be taught and what topics should be included, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I find the curriculum at my school very old fashioned. You know, oh. it's a lot of Tudors and Stuarts and British history and yeah, white yeah. men and that sort of thing. It frustrates yeah. me a bit. Yeah. Um, but if you want an example of some controversy, there was an essay I got set for part of my teacher training. I had to, I had to first investigate how my students saw their own identities. You know, do they mm-hmm. see themselves as British, as working yeah. class, as immigrants, as members of, of certain religions, whatever? Yeah. Um, then I had to look at how well they were doing um, and see if there were any, any particular demographics who were lagging behind in terms mm-hmm. of success. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this theory that obviously everyone has to study the history of different groups than themselves. 
But if you never get to see yourself in history, you'll do less well in history is a common assumption. Um, and so I had to produce a sequence of history lessons that would help a group who were doing badly to do better. I see. Um, so that could be, you know, oh, my, my black children are doing badly, so we'll do lessons on um, African kingdoms. Yep. Or it could be my working class children are doing badly, so we'll do the history of working class Britain or something. Yep. And I completely failed this essay, and I had to rewrite it and resubmit it because I found it such a difficult topic to mm, you know, mm, think mm. about my students in these terms of, yep. of their identities and then to ask serious questions about who was not getting an adequate history education and then to, you know, as a very privileged person myself, to really focus in on all those difficult topics. It was hard. I did badly. Yeah, yeah. But, but is it getting better now? Because I can imagine, like, this This is very important to to those students. And, of course, they, should, they have to learn about Britain and, uh, you know, the, his, the history of it. But I think there are different perspectives as well, you know, and it should all be taken into account. And I know it's all, uh, it can't be easy if you have to follow a certain, certain curriculum. So to what extent are you able to incorporate a little bit of this? So, for example, we now have Black Lives Matter, right? So that's a big topic. And uh, now Brexit happened, on the other hand. And then, so it's like, how does it all, how do you juggle all this, Claire? I mean, it's, so tell me if I'm actually addressing your question or not with this. I don't even know what my question was anymore. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard because I don't want to just say that we should throw all the British history out, right? Because that's the country they're living in. It makes yeah. sense. They should know something about it. And also, I think you've, you've got to keep the story coherent, right? If you try to pick a tiny bit of the history of every place in the world, the mm. students are going to end up really confused. They have such low starting points, some of them, and some of them don't study history yeah. for very long before they but, drop the subject. So there's something that, to be said for teaching one coherent story of British history rather than trying to cover yeah. everything. That's a but fair then at point, the same yeah. time, you you owe it to them, you know, to, yeah. to show them the context of the rest of the world. So it's a, it's mm -hmm. a balancing act. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can imagine. Okay, well, it's been it's been brilliant talking to you, Claire. This was just one more thing I wanted to ask you about. I know your sister is currently not in the UK, so would you like to tell us where she is? Because I know she's far, far away. <laughs> oh yeah, she got accepted onto a master's program in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. Then the pandemic happened. Yeah. She decided to go anyway. She spent a fortnight locked alone in a hotel room and we don't really know when she's going to be able to come back because, you know, obviously they've got a much better handle on the pandemic over there than they do yeah. over here. So it's it's tough, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, when she does come back, I'm sure she will have a lot of stories to tell and we might even invite her uh, onto this podcast. To be honest, we, we did initially wanted to talk about Hong Kong, but then we realized it's actually another kind of controversial subject because obviously Hong Kong was uh, was a British was used to be a British colony. Now it's part of China, but we all know that there are some issues there right now. Uh, people of Hong Kong are protesting, uh, and it's oh my god! Oh no, Zdeněk, you've just yeah. reminded me. Yeah, 
What did uh, you do? My sister sent me as as a Christmas present. She sent me a book about the history of Hong Kong as a British colony, and I haven't read it yet. And I'm a history teacher. I'm ashamed. Ah. <laughs> well, you know, you now have to catch up on your reading then. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's how we end how we end this podcast as well. We we started it with the 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 phrasal verb to catch up with someone, but we we end it with another phrasal verb which is very similar to catch up on something. Mm. <laughs> oh, it's just like we planned it. Magnificent. <laughs> we didn't, but you know, nobody needs to know that. <laughs> Claire, <laughs> okay, as always, I'll be catching up on my reading. Yeah, please do. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, as always, it's been brilliant talking to you, and I'm, I'm really grateful for all your uh, insights into, you know, teaching history. And it's it's a pretty, really interesting to find out about how you teach history. Yeah. So thank you for that, yeah. and good luck with your um, career of a history teacher. Right. Well, thank you so much for inviting me again. Anytime, Claire. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks a lot for listening. For more information, go to Zdenex English Podcast Facebook group or visit zdenexenglishpodcast.podbean.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Zdenex English Podcast. If you are Zdenex English Podcast patron, I've got some good news for you. A mini lesson review that focuses on the target language from this episode is arriving right after this. To become Zdenex English Podcast patron, go to teachersdenek.com zep section and click become patron.